I'm so excited to be bringing the word with you guys this morning. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on. We're going to be hanging out in 1 Peter for the beginning of the message. And the title of today's message is called The Fringe. Look to the person next to you, The Fringe. The Fringe. And we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And last week we talked about Jesus reinstating Peter. They were sitting on the Sea of Tiberias, and, and Jesus and Peter are having this conversation. And, uh, and, and he comes to Peter, and he reinstates him. He says, Peter, if you love me, then feed my sheep. We see that happen three times as, as, as Jesus is reinstating Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to be in verse 8. This is the end of his first book. Peter is now in Rome ministering the gospel. I mean, the, the gospel's going forward. We see Peter full of the Holy Spirit after Acts chapter 2 is now moving the gospel forward at a furious pace. And in, and in 1 Peter chapter 5, he's closing out his, his first book. And in verse 8, he writes this right here. He says, be alert and of sober mind. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter's writing this as a, as a warning to Christians, as a warning to them saying, hey, guys, look, keep your wits about you. It keeps situational awareness, man. You need to be in it. Don't disengage. He says, because you don't understand this. There is an enemy who is after you. There's an adversary, as one translation puts it, who is after you. Man, and he's like a lion. And not only is he, is he looking for you, not only is he looking just to attack you, but his main goal at the end of it all is to see you devoured. And I love as Peter writes this, as he's in Rome, probably seeing the way the lions were used in the Colosseums and all these different things. But if you understand a little bit how lions hunt, and what they do and how they, they take down their prey. The lions don't go up into the middle of the, the herd. They don't go into the middle of what's going on and start looking for people. They go to the outsides. They go to the fringe. They hunt on the fringe there. What happens is when they begin to surprise the entire herd and they begin to surprise the entire you know, you know, group of animals, what happens is, is the people that are staying close to the center, the people that are engaged in what's going on know exactly where to go. They know exactly where to run. They understand that, that in the, in the pre-morning you know, you know, pre briefing of elephants, they sat down there and said, hey, guys, look, we're going to be grazing in the, uh, in the Sahara this morning. On the eastern side, the sun's going to be in your face when it rises up. The best grass is going to be on the north side of the pond, and that's where we're going to be. And if the lions come, we are all headed west. Everybody's taking notes, all the elephants. Okay, great, great, great. Well, the guy that's sitting in the back of the class that showed up late, that would have been me, right? We're sitting there asking people, hey, bro, so what are we doing? Oh, man, I think we're running east. Okay, great. So what happens when the lions spring up and they go to attack them? Everybody runs west, and where do you go? East. And where do the lions follow? They follow the fringe. They go to the ones that find themselves out by themselves. They go and they find themselves that, that, that are alone. They don't have the protection of the herd. They go and they find themselves the ones that are kind of on the outskirts by themselves. And after that dude's been running, <laughs> he stops and he looks around. He's like, where's everybody at? Where's everybody at? And he looks around, and what does he find? A helpful line, right? He's like, hey, buddy, I'm going to send you to see your aunts and your uncles that died last year, right? He's like, man, we're going to have you a little family reunion. They jump on him. You understand, and they understand the power of being together, the power of being up in the middle of what's going on, the power uh, of staying together, of being tied into what's going on, to know, hey, this is where we're moving, and this is where we're going. And as Peter's writing this, he's saying, guys, it's so important to you. It's so important that you stay alert and of sober mind, that you keep your wits about you, 
Because I'm telling you this, there's an enemy out there who wants nothing more than to see you devoured, to see your demise, to see the end of you, wants to see your marriage destroyed, wants to see your finances destroyed, wants to see you ate up by, 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 by medical conditions, all these different things. He wants to see you gone. I'm telling you this, man, this thing happens. And as he uses the lines, he say, hey, guys, stay tight. Man, stay into what God's doing. Get as close as you can to what God's doing. Stay in the middle of that. When I was younger, I learned really, really quick the power of staying close to my dad. I didn't know this, but every time when I was about four years old, four or five years old since I can remember, my dad would, I, I wanted to be just like my dad. Oh, my gosh, I wanted to be just like him. I dressed like him. We had the same sunglasses. I mean, I wanted to be with my dad all the time. I was like, man, this is the guy I want to be with, right? And so, and so I would tell my mama, can I go with him? Can I please go with him? And she, she'd say, okay, great, mijito, you can go with him, right? And I'd be so excited. like, Dad, I'm going with you. He's like, all right, let's go, man, right? And so my mom would sit down, and she'd get down on her knee, and she'd look at me, and she'd put her hands on my face. And she says, mijito, I love you. Mijito, if he leaves you and he forgets you, find the man. And she'd kiss me. Go. It's like, what the heck does that even mean? As a kid, you know what I'm saying? You're just sitting there looking in your mom's eyes like, Mom, is this the last time I'm going to see you? Like, what is going on, right? And my dad would be like, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go. Right? And so, and so like most men, right, my dad, on a mission, right, when you go to the store, when you go to the store, you don't go to the store to browse. You don't go to the store to find, right? You go to the store to get what you need and you get out, right? I think it's, it's kind of like, you know, the old school Mission Impossible. It, this mission, should you choose to accept it, right? Like this thing is, you are going to walk into Kroger. You're going to infiltrate the local grocery store. You will acquire one dozen eggs, one gallon milk, right? Two tomatoes. You will get in and get out with making as little contact as possible. Do you choose to accept? Yes, right? You don't make a list? Heck no, right? The list is here, right? I, I don't need anything slowing me down, right? And so when I'd go with my dad, my dad would be one-track mind guy. Wah, wah, wah. And he would, be, he would just be, he would be on it, right? So I would be like, okay, great, Dad, let's go. He, he'd make sure I was in the truck, and he'd make sure i get down. But once we got in the store, I was on my own. I had to make sure I stayed close to my dad. I had to make sure, like, like bro, do not leave me. Because if he left me, I had to find this, this ominous figure called the man. I had to find this person. Like, I don't know who you're looking for. Some guy. I don't know. My mom said that he would get me back home. One day we're at the store, and, and my dad is messing with my jacket. He's like, Dad, I'm hot. Take my jacket off. So he takes my jacket off, and he sticks his hand in my pocket. He's like, what is this? And I was always putting stuff in my pockets, man. I was always like, there was like gum, mints, or something about rocks. You know what I'm saying? It didn't matter what it was. I was always something in my pockets. And he pulls this piece of paper out of his pocket, in my pocket, and he looks at it, and he's reading it. He said, who gave you this? I like, I don't know. What does it say on it? I can't even read. I was like, I don't know. What is that? And he, so we got home, and he held that piece of paper in his pocket. He held it, and we got home, and he says, Nina, come here. And so we're sitting down in the, in the living room. He says, did you put this in John's pocket? And she says, yeah. She says, he says, why? She says, in case you lost him. <laughs> My mom would tell me, she'd say, mijito, if you get lost, you hand this to the man. It had my name, my phone number, and my address. And she said, mijito, they will call me and I will come get you. Not dad, not, not anybody else. I will come and get you, right? Come on, I learned at, an, at a young age the importance of being tight. The importance of staying with what's going on. Why? Because you gonna get left. 
And then there I am looking for some guy, the man, right? And I'm like, heck no, we ain't doing that. And I think that's what, that's what Peter's referencing here. That we got to stay tight into what God's doing. Man, we got to be close to him. Come on, we got we to gotta be up in what Jesus is doing. We got to be all in that. Because I tell you this, there's an enemy who's looking and he's prowling around. And his main goal is to see you devoured. And when we're sitting and we're tight with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's, all right, move left. And we're moving with him. All right, now move right. Stay still. Don't move. And we're hanging out with the Holy Spirit. Man, I'll tell you this, our chances of survival are through the roof as we're walking and we're in step with Jesus. The definition of fringe is this right here. It's the border or the outer edges of an area or a group. We all know those people who hang out on the fringe. We all know those people who, 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 who just kind of, that's where they're at. That's just kind of where they're comfortable. That's where they hang out. And on the fringe, what seems to happen on the fringe is completely different than what's happening in the middle of the group. The conversations are completely different. The, the, the topic of conversation is, is what, like, what is that? It might have a little bit of what's going on, but it's completely different. The fringe usually has its own plans. The fringe usually has, you know, its own direction. It knows where it's going. And we all know those people that seem to kind of hang out on those outer edges. And those outer edges can be dangerous. In Acts chapter 20, we see this passage, starting in verse 7, of Paul interacting with these people in Trous. And in Acts chapter 19, the, the, the chapter right before that, at the end of the chapter, Paul is fleeing for his life. In Acts chapter 19, towards the end of that, what they're doing is they're preaching in Ephesus. And as they're preaching in Ephesus, people are getting saved. I mean, it's really happening. Well, what happens is, as they're getting saved, the, uh, the temple of the goddess of Artemis was in Ephesus. And so these silversmiths begin to, begin to see a decline in their sales. And they begin to figure out, where is this coming from? And they understand that it's from this man named Paul. And so the silversmiths all get together, they create the first union that we see, and they go on strike, and they're coming after these guys. And they end up causing a riot in Ephesus, and for two hours, they're cheering, great is the goddess of Artemis in Ephesus. And for two hours, they're chanting this, they're trying to do this, and they chase Paul and his boys out of the city. In chapter 20, we see that they've kind of recouped after a few months of traveling around. They spent about three months in Macedonia, a couple of weeks here and there. And he ends up in Trous on his way to Asia. And this is where we find him in Acts chapter 20. After they had had this, this, this experience, this crazy ordeal that had just happened, they're kind of regathering themselves in Trous. And Trous would be in uh, modern-day Turkey. That's where they're at, on the coast there, in a coastal town. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we see this thing happen, and that's where we're going to be. It says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept talking until midnight. So this is a Sunday night that they're meeting. They're coming together, and they're breaking bread. They're having a meal. And Paul understands that time is of the essence I'm leaving tomorrow. I have to impart to you, man, the most that I can. And he starts preaching to these people until midnight. Paul's not preaching because he likes the sound of his voice. Paul's not preaching because he's got to get the audio recording because he's got a book deal launching in the fall. Paul's not preaching because they're going to take clips of it and put it on YouTube and they're going to promote his brand on Instagram. Paul is preaching because he understands that time is of the essence. He was just chased out of Ephesus. 
right? This riot of people, he barely made it out by the skin of his teeth. This man has been imprisoned multiple times. He understands that both the Jews and the Romans are after him. He's got no friend really in between. And so he's doing his best to minister the gospel as much as he can because he doesn't know when the opportunity will come again. I don't know if I'm going to see you again. And so he's preaching until midnight. That's a long time to be preaching, especially after eating. Now, for me, typically, after I eat, man, if we get a little bit of tacos going, right, what begins to happen? The itis sets in. You just want to take a nap, right? I'm saying, like, dude, after babes, I need a designated driver, straight up, man, because I'm like, it's not, I mean, call the Uber, Myrna, because I'm falling asleep. And Paul's preaching until midnight. He's going until midnight. We'll pick it up right here in verse 8. He says, there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in the window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from a third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. He says, don't be alarmed, he said, he is alive. Then he went upstairs again, broke bread and ate, and after talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home and were greatly comforted. So this whole thing happens where Paul is preaching until midnight. They're sitting on the third story of this house. They're all hanging out up there. They brought a bunch of lamps because he understood, man, we're going to go late. I don't want you guys falling asleep. If it's dimly lit and it's nice and warm, all y'all going to bed. So he said, this is what we're going to do. Bring every lamp you got, and we're going to light this place up. We're going to do our best to make sure that you're engaged in what's going on. Paul, I guarantee this, would not waste his time. If the people weren't eating it up, if the people weren't taking notes on their stone tablets, ting, 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 right? They're writing on their papyrus. I mean, they are taking notes. They're eating this up as Paul's preaching, bringing the word. And he's preaching until midnight. And it says that this man by the name of Eutychus is sitting on the, on the outskirts in a windowsill. He's sitting there. I wanted to name my son Eutychus. My wife said no. And so... That's why his name's not Eutychus, it's Uzziah, right? And so she didn't like this, she said, no. But I love that name. And we see this young man by the name of Eutychus. He's found himself a comfortable spot. Oh my gosh, could you imagine being in Turkey, hanging out on the coast, probably had a view of the, of the sea from your window. They're on the third story, man, they're hanging out above everybody else. And he's checking it out. One leg hanging out the window, one leg in. Nice, cool ocean breeze coming in, full moon. Oh, my gosh. And Eutychus finds himself so comfortable. Halfway into what's going on, halfway out. He finds himself a nice and comfortable spot on the fringe of everything that's going on. We see this young man in Scripture records begin sinking into a deep sleep. It doesn't say that immediately he fell asleep. It said that he was sinking into it. If you've ever been driving late at night or in the, in the early morning or maybe just right after work, you understand that when your eyelids get so heavy, you can't keep them open. Oh, my gosh. You're like, dear Lord, I, I, I'm, oh, man, how far did I just drive my eyes closed? <laughs> that's, that's talent. Wow. But we've all had it happen. And you understand and you begin to, you begin to wake yourself up. But this young man just begins to say, you know what, look, I'm going to settle in right here. I'm going to give in to this thing. Here we go, man. We're about to have us a good sleep. If you've ever napped in Sunday night church, oh, it's good, right? It's like, 
I grew up Baptist. We had Wednesday night, you know, some Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and those Sunday evening, you know, naps in the pews just hit a different, you know, seven-year-old Jonathan. Like, mm, having dreams about Revelation and Daniel and all sorts of crazy stuff. But man, he falls into this deep sleep. And as he does it, he rolls himself out of the window of the third story and finds himself dead. If you were working kids' ministry that day, it's your worst nightmare. If you check that boy in, because it, it, the, the, uh, the Greek word for what he is is neonios, which means he's about 11 to 14 years old. He was a junior high kid. I mean, the, dude, you, this is your worst nightmare. As, you, as your name comes up, your tag number comes up on the screen, uh, go see kids' ministry for uh, your son fell out the window. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, my gosh, you know, what do you do about that? I mean, this is crazy. He rolls out, and he finds himself lying on the floor dead. If you've ever, ever been waking up, waking up by falling, it's terrifying. It is terrifying. You know those dreams you have, all of a sudden, you just go, ah, you know, you, you, just, you just feel like you're going to do it. I, I fell asleep one time in my tree stand. I love to hunt, right? I fell asleep. I was bow hunting. I fell asleep. I rolled right out of that thing. I woke up chasing trees on the way down. I was like, dear Lord, my safety belt caught me, and so I was, I was sitting there hanging, like, just like, what are we doing? But it's a terrifying feeling. And I'd imagine the last two seconds of that young man's life as he opened his eyes and said, what in the world is happening before he hit the ground? He was found dead. And you say, well, maybe he wasn't dead. Maybe he was just knocked out severely. Well, the guy who wrote Acts, his name was Luke, and Luke had a profession. His profession was a physician. He was a doctor. As Luke records this, he records the man being dead. Paul runs down three flights of stairs, stretches himself over this young man, grabs him up in his arms, and he proclaims him alive. Now, this was a significant thing that Paul did because the people that he was ministering to were, were more than likely Jews. We see Eutychus having a Greek name, but there had to be Jewish people there. And we see in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah is with this widow and her son. And the son ends up dying, and, and, and Elijah takes him up to the second floor, stretches his body over him three times, and that boy comes back to life. We see Paul taking a book out of, taking, you know, this straight out of Elijah's book and says, you know what, this is what we're doing. Overstretching his body over this young boy, grabbing him up in his arms, and seeing him alive again. Resurrected that young man in that instant. Paul probably had a conversation with him for just a moment. Bro, are you okay? You look how far you fell. What did it feel like? You know what I'm saying? Like, what, what were you thinking about? What, what happened, man? What is going on? It's all right, dude, let's go. He gets him up, goes back upstairs. All that, that healing and resurrecting and all that stuff made him hungry. He eats a little bit longer, and then he goes back to preach until the sun comes up. They say they take that boy home. They take him alive. He take him home alive, and that him and his family and everybody was with him were greatly comforted. I believe they were greatly comforted for two different reasons. Number one, that their boy was alive and not dead. And secondly, they understood that what Paul was sharing and the power that he operated in was the truth. They saw him outstretch his body over that boy and bring him up alive. So not only were they greatly comforted that their loved one lived, but they were greatly comforted that, man, what he's preaching about, that's the truth. That's real. And that's what we're after. And we see in the story that nobody else fell out of the window that day. There wasn't like six people that fell out of the windows. It wasn't this thing that happened. Why? Because everybody else was engaged in what was going on. 
Everybody else was pressing into what the Lord was doing in that moment. Everybody else was going after what God was doing. Hey, what does he have for us in this moment? But Eutychus found himself a comfortable spot on the fringe and was hanging out there. Guys, I want to tell you, man, we don't need to be on the fringes of what God is doing. We need to be up into what, everything that he's doing. We need to be up into everything that God's got for our lives and say, Lord, I'm tight with you. Lord, I'm doing my best to be as close to what you're doing, man. I'm not missing a small group. I'm not missing a women's event. I'm not missing a men's meeting. I'm not missing whatever, man. I'm at it. I'm pushing into what you're doing. Lord, I'm engaged with you. But we can see people hanging out and making themselves comfortable on the fringe. I want to give you three things that you can see real quick that are some fringe signals that you just begin to see that people start exhibiting these things. You can say, hey, man, it sounds like you might be hanging out on the fringe a little bit. It sounds like you, 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 might be, you might be out there a little bit. Let me see if we can help you get you back in. The first thing is this right here that we see as a fringe signal. They become overly critical. Oh, my gosh. They become overly critical. We've all met them. We've all seen them. Why don't they do it like this? Why, why, why did they do it that way? Did you hear the way they did this? Did you hear the way they did that? And you're like, dear Lord. Oh my gosh. How about you just saying, like, how about you just you just worship? Let's just let's just just, just do this. Oh my gosh. And we've all been around them. But as you begin to identify this and you begin to see this, you may say, hey man, look, it seems like you might be on the fringe of what's going on. How about we get a little bit closer to what Jesus is doing? Come on, how about, how about we tap in a little bit more? Because it's not about the craft that they're doing. It's not about the sound. It's not about the mix. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's about the power and who we are worshiping. That's what it is. And so when we're overly critical of that, man, I just feel like you, you hanging out there. The second thing is this right here, just a fringe signal that you can begin to see, is they no longer make it a priority. They no longer make it a priority. Small group, ah, I'm missing again this month. Sorry, man. I got this, that, and the other. I'm, I'm actually I'm, I'm ironing my sheets this week. It's very important, very important. Comes around once a quarter and just so happened to hit this day. I'll tell you this, people will make room for what's important to them. Always, 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 always. I had a friend that was really up into his fitness, right? And I was like, what time do you wake up? He's like, I work out every morning. It's like, what time do you wake up? 445. I'm like, dude, why? He's like, because I got to work out. Got to get these gains. I was like, what time do you start working out? He says, five. I said, what time are you doing? He says, uh, 615. He's like, because I got to be out the door by 715. He's like, I take a shower. And I get up, and I'm like, why do you stress yourself out? Which time do you go to bed? He's like, 7. I'm like, no, you don't go to bed at 7. He's like, no, like 9 o'clock. He's like, why in the world do you do that? I go to bed at 9, and I wake up at 6, and I'm still tired. You know what I'm saying? He's like, why do you, why do, you do that, man? And look, dude, I, so what? I got a little bit extra poundage, man. Look, I'm, I'm living life, right? And so, but we see these people that will always make room for what's important to them. You'll start seeing them not making it a priority. Hey, you going to be there? Nah, I got this, got that. Man, just watch out. I might be hanging out on the fringe. Hey, I, I, I'm going to go after this. Hey, are you going to be here for this? You can be here for this? Nah, nah, I'm not going to be there for that. Just watch for them, man. Just some, just some signals to look out for. And the third thing we see is this right here, is they start to compare. They're starting to compare. Hey, so-and-so does it like that. Have you seen the way they do it over there? It's so much better. Or, or, or you know what I'm saying? Like, like well, man, the, the way we used to do it is like this. Why are we doing it like that now? begin to identify and see that they're hanging out on the fringe. Their attitude begins to shift and their attitude begins to change. I would imagine when Eutychus was sitting there and he showed up to that house, they probably showed up there every Sunday night. That's where they broke bread and that's where they ate. 
He's probably heard countless rabbis sitting there doing the teaching and all these things. Like, bro, not again. The Torah again? Not again. Come on, man. And he's in this thing, and it had become very familiar to him. I'd imagine that he became overly critical of where they were going and what they were doing. This leaven bread is so dry, right? It's like they always buy the cheap juice, right? All this stuff. I mean, everything. He's criticizing everything. I would imagine that he began to not make it priority to him, began to show up a little bit late. Again, he'd be like, I really don't want to go. I don't, I don't want to just, Mama, are we going? Why are we going? So-and-so, man, why, why are we going? So probably started comparing it to everybody else. Man, well, so-and-so does it at, at a Saturday nights. It's a lot better. They do a little bit different. They, they actually have, like, meat. Like, it's awesome. Why, why are we going here? Just eating bread and grapes. Like, Mom, they're just eating grapes. I don't want to eat grapes anymore. Like, he, he probably just began to do that. And he found himself the night that Paul was there. He found himself, found a comfortable spot on the edge. A spot he had probably sat in multiple times before. He says, you know what? I'm just settling in, man. There's nothing here for me. There's nothing here for me. I'm just going to find this spot. I'm going to take a nap. And when you're done, wake me up so we can go. And he found himself beginning to be on the fringe. So how in the world do we get ourselves out of that? How do we move ourselves out of the fringe? If you found someone, you know someone that is on the fringe, how do you begin to move them out of where we're at? The first thing you have to do is you got to move out of comfortable spaces. you got to move out of comfortable spaces. Eutychus find himself, found himself in a very, very comfortable spot. Very comfortable. Probably took his little cloak off, made a pillow out of it. Probably borrowed his mom's jacket, used it as a blanket, brought a lamp kind of close, had a little table with some grapes on it, you know, just hanging out. He had made himself comfortable. Pastor Adam always says this, that comfort is the enemy of the supernatural. We'll never see the supernatural in our lives when we find ourselves in very, very comfortable spots. Never. We'll never see ourselves find that. There's this story that I'm so intrigued by every time I read it because of the, the sheer just audacity that it took, the courage that it took. In Luke chapter 8, we see the story of this woman, the woman with the issue of blood. She had struggled with this thing for 12 years. 12 years this woman, has she had struggled with this issue. She had heard about this man by the name of Jesus spreading all around that he was healing people. And she said, man, I'm going after that. I have to find this man by the name of Jesus. She says, whatever it takes, I'm going to get out of. Now, this woman with the issue of blood, she was barred from going to the temple. I'd imagine after 12 years, she'd been to every physician that she could go to. They, in that time, they would say, well, if you've got an ailment, you've got a sickness or something wrong with you, well, whose sin is this, your sin or your parents' sin? She's been ostracized out of society, and she says, you know what? I have to do my best to go after Jesus. I have to do my best. I've heard about this man by the name of Jesus. I've got to go after him. And in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 30, 30, uh, 42, excuse me, it says, as Jesus was on his ways, the crowds almost crushed him. That's a lot of people. That's the state fair on Texas OU weekend. <laughs> That's a lot of people. That is a ton of people. And this lady, I would imagine the courage that it must have taken. As she's getting dressed that morning and saying, Jesus is coming. And all the excuses that would have come up and say, not today, today's not today. You know how many people are going to be there? What if someone sees you? 
What if someone, what if someone you know spots you? And she says, you know what, I don't care. She's lacing up her sandals. I gotta get to Jesus. And then seeing the crowds, like there's no way I'm gonna get there. There's no way I'm going to get there. But this lady was tired of hanging out on the fringe, and she says, I've got to push through to Jesus. And we keep reading in Luke chapter, four, uh, Luke chapter 8, and verse 43, it says, And a woman was there who had been subjected to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and was immediately healed, and her bleeding stopped. This lady said, I don't care what it takes I gotta get to Jesus. All the pushing that it took, all the crowd fighting that it took to get to where he was at. She said, I'm not living on the fringe anymore. I'm getting to Jesus. I have to get to Jesus. I can't hang out here anymore. There's no hope for me where I'm at. I've done everything that I could. I put everything into it that I could. I have to get to Jesus. And she pushed her way out of an uncomfortable spot. She moved out of what her routine might have been. She had found a routine, and she said, this is what I do day in and day out. This is how I avoid people. This is when I go to market. This is when I draw water. This is what I do to avoid people. And she says, you know what? I'm getting out of a comfortable spot for me, and I'm going after Jesus. Man, if we're going to move out of the fringe, we have to remove our, ourselves from these comfortable spots that we can find ourselves in. These moments where we're saying, hey, look, man, I'm, I'm good here. I'm good here. Everything I got's good. Well, he's saying, man, that's not everything I have for you. That's not everything I've got for you, man. There is more. And we got to begin to move ourselves out of these comfortable spots and say, Jesus, look, I'm going after you. Lord, I'm going to push through the crowds. I'm going to go through the uncomfortable. I'm going to go through this because if I do that, you promise me that I'll get something that I've never had before. For 12 years, she dealt with this thing. For 12 years, she'd been to every expert, and they couldn't give her something. And she said, I just got to get to Jesus. And she didn't even have an interaction with him. She touched the hem of his garment, just got close to what he was doing, and boom, she was healed. Man, we have to move out of these comfortable spaces and go after Jesus. Get out of the fringe and move into what he's doing. We were in Columbia this one time when we were ministering at this conference, and, and before the conference was happening, they wanted us to show us a little bit of Bogota as to where we were at. And so there was this, there was this gondola thing that, that happened, and so we rode it up to the top of this mountain where some people lived, and it was kind of like their subway. It was a cool thing. When as we got to the top, we were hanging out there, a storm came through, and they had to shut it down. And so we're standing there with, with the pastors of, of, the, of the church, and, and the conference is in about three or four hours, and, and he's like, man, what did you guys come here to do? And he said, well, we came here to minister and to preach. He says, let's go. And right there where we're at, I was like, what do you mean, let's go? He said, we're going we're gonna to preach to these people right here on this, on this in lines. We're all just waiting. He's like, I'll start it off, and you preach. And I was like, I ain't got no notes. I ain't got no illustration. Where's my PowerPoint? You know what I'm saying? He's like, First of all, I look like them. I don't speak like them. It don't, it's like, like, what do we do? It's like, I got you. I'll translate for you. And I was like, dude, oh, man. You know those moments where you, just, you get hot? You know, it's like, you know, I'm not feeling, my throat hurts. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, no, I mean, I don't know. He's like, what did you come here to do? I was like, dang, you're right. He's like, all right. So we started going at it. I said, like, hey, how's it going? And he's translating for me. Finally got to this spot. I was like, does anybody need prayer for anything? And this lady raised her hand. I was like, all right, bring her up. And we asked her, what's wrong with you? <laughs> not like that. I was like, what, what seems, what's your problem, right? Like, 
We need to pray this thing gets moving. So what do you need prayer for? She said, I got this pain in my stomach. I was like, all right, I don't know what that is, but we're going we're to lay hands and we're going to pray for you. And as we begin to pray for her, I begin to pray in English. My buddy's praying in, in Spanish, and this lady's hearing from Jesus, right? And so it's like, it happened. Lay hands on this lady. She gets healed immediately. She falls to the ground, is weeping, crying. It's like, dude, I did something bad. I was like, what happened? And she's crying, and she's weeping, and she says, it went away. And I was like, what does that mean? She's screaming Spanish over and over and over. And she says, the pain is gone. Man, I'll tell you, that was one of the most uncomfortable times of my life. That was like, oh, I don't want to do this today. No, I'm not even ready. Like, I don't even speak the language. But the Lord said, hey, man, move out of these comfortable spaces. Move out of the spaces that you feel safe in. Move out of these spaces that you feel, because guess what? When you're safe, you don't need nothing. He says, move out of these spots where you're dependent on me, man. Let's go. If we're going to move out of the fringe, we've got to move out of these, uh, these comfortable spaces. The second thing is this right here, is we have to keep a reverence for the word. You've got to keep a reverence for the word. I'd imagine as that boy was sitting there, man, the word had become common to him. It just, became, it just became the thing that we do on Sundays. That's what happens. And I'd imagine that many of us can sink into that very thing. Well, he don't preach like so-and-so. I mean, I've heard this passage before. I've heard the revelation on what that is. And what happens is we lose a reverence for the word. This is what it says right here in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. It says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but I will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send. Every time the word goes out, it does not return void. Check it out right here in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is what it says right here in John chapter 6, verse 35. It says, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In Psalms 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 29, it says, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks rocks into pieces. Man, we sometimes can treat the word as so common. Man, but it's the very word of God. So thankful for the resource series a couple of weeks back as we talked about the word literally being a resource to us. Where we talk about the armor of God that we put on, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. Come on, peace about our feet and a sword on our side that is the word of God. I'm so thankful that we have that. So thankful that we've got the word, but sometimes we can treat it as common. I grew up with that. I've heard that scripture. Man, we can quote it up one side and down the other, but it loses its power and it loses its luster the moment we lose reverence for it. That is the word of God, divinely inspired by God himself in error in all of its ways. When we see that, man, that when those people move out to the fringes, they lose a reverence for the word most times. It just becomes common. It just becomes something good. Yeah, that, that was good. Yeah, that, that was good. Yeah, I get that. Yes, I get that. But man, it loses its power the moment it becomes common to you. Man, may we never, ever, ever lose reverence for the word of God. According to Isaiah, every time that it goes out, it will accomplish its purpose. Oh, that word wasn't for me. No, man, it was. Absolutely it was. 
It might not have been for you directly. That might be for a coworker you have. Or you know what? Maybe you need to store that one up for a little bit. Chew on that for a moment. Because next week you're really going to need that. And so we have this thing where, we, where we'll say, well, that's not for me. Immediately dismiss it. Immediately say, ah, no, that's, nope, nope. And we'll disengage. Man, we need to keep our reverence for the word. I used to watch this show on, on the Discovery Channel. It's called Fatal Attractions. But these people that live with animals, right? And I was like, dude, this, these people are crazy. This guy lived with like a buffalo, all sorts of stuff. But there was this one guy that lived with these, these lizards, these monitor lizards. He had like a dozen of them. He kept his apartment at 82 degrees to accommodate these lizards. And he grew these things since they were, they were like little. And they finally grew out of their cages. And he had, he had been with them for years. And he had been with them so much that they became like pets to him. And he began to let them out of the cages and they roamed free in his house. I mean, these things were like, they were, they were just, could you imagine? That's disgusting. Like, ah! These things were like four foot long, five foot long lizards just hanging out in his apartment. Just chilling out, man. No bugs in his apartment, I promise you. No rats, rodents, nothing, man. These guys were cleaning house. But we see this guy living with, with these things. These are powerful animals. They're designed to hunt. They're designed to kill. That's what they do. He worked at this oil change place and, and didn't come to work one day. And so like, ah, you know what? That's okay. Bill didn't come to work today. Next day, Bill didn't come to work. They're like, ah, it's a little suspicious. Bill didn't come to work today. Third day, they're like, Bill might be dead, right? So it's like, <laughs> something's wrong with Bill. They do a wellness check on him. They go and they go, they go, the cops go over to look for him. Can't get into his apartment. Like something's in the way of the door. Can't get in. They go around back, peek through the blinds. They're looking through there, and they see all these lizards walking around. Like, what the heck is going on? And they see Bill on the floor with the lizards. Dead. Them lizards ate Bill. Ate him up. Why? Because they became common to him. I live with them. I got them. I'm under control. They're good. We're good. They, they, they listen to me. No, that we're good. We're, we know each other. They became common. He lost any kind of sense of the power that they had. And it just became common. It just became, this is what I do. This is what we feed them. They hang out with me. We lay in bed, whatever, whatever, whatever. Like, you do with the lizard? That's weird, man. And they ate him. They killed him. Man, when we lose reverence for the word, we literally make ourselves liable to destruction. What are we going to defend ourselves with? Come on, man, that reverence of the word, understanding the power of what it does. That's what Jesus did. Jesus fought with the word. Man, we learned in that resource. That's exactly what Jesus did in those 40 days that he was hanging out in the desert. He combated the enemy with the word. We got to keep a reverence for the word. And the last thing is this right here. If we're going to stay off the fringe, is don't have a divided heart. I'd imagine as Eutychus is hanging out there, he was dreaming about where he could be. All the other places that he could be. Looking out on the coast, looking at the people hanging out on the streets late at night, dreaming of everywhere else he could be except for he, where he was at that moment. I don't want to be here, I want to be there. And his heart was divided. In James chapter 1 verse 8 it says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Man, that our hearts need to be fully in what we're doing. Our hearts need to be fully engaged in what's going on. In our house, we'll have this times where it's like no phone time. When we have dinner together, put all devices away. We're talking to each other. I'm not talking to you while you're looking at your phone. We're going to look at each other in our eyes. Because we don't want to have divided attention. We don't want to have that. 
And we see Eutychus in this moment, his heart was literally divided. And we'll see people on the fringe whose hearts are, are, are one foot in and one foot out. They're always looking maybe for the next spot they're going to go, for the next place they're going to jump to. But he said, hey, man, I need to have all of you. Because there's no way we can fully engage in what's going on when half our mind's here and half of our mind is already making its exit. There's no way you can do it. Man, we need to have a, a heart that's fully dedicated to what God's doing. They say, Lord, I'm in it, and I'm in it here. This is where I'm doing it, and this is what you're doing. I, I'm in it, Lord, and I'm with you every bit of it, 100%. Let's go. We're in this thing together, Lord. I'm a history guy. I, I, I love studying history. And in 1519, there was this Spanish conquistador that was going to begin to conquer what is now Mexico. It was the new land to them. And they stopped in Cuba on their way going to Mexico, and they landed on the eastern shores of Mexico. And this guy by the name of, of Hernan Cortez lands on the coast of Mexico. And as they land there, they've heard rumors of these people that inhabited this land. It would have been the Aztec people that they met. And they, they show up there, and they hear about the numbers that they have. And how many people that are there and the other, the other you, know, you know, people that have gone and tried to conquer this place. And those rumors and all of those things that have been spoken over them before are now creeping into who they are. And these men, they land and they land scared. They get there and they begin to do business there. And it's a lot harder than they thought it was going to be. It's a lot more challenging than they thought it was going to be. And so what happens is the morale of the men begin to dip. And they begin to whisper quietly back to each other and say, hey guys, look. We can leave this place. Let's go. We got the ships. Let's load up and let's get the heck out of here. And a couple weeks into what they were doing, man, you could really see that the men's hearts were not in it. They were fully committed to saying, we're going to go back to the lives we used to know. Let's get the heck out of this place, man. We do not want to be here. And finally, Cortez got the, 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 it finally came to him that exactly what they were saying, he says, this is what we're going to do. He ordered that those ships be burned. Burn them all. This is what we're going to do, man. If you don't want to be in it with me, I'm going to force you to be in it with me. I'm going to turn your heart to what we're doing. The only option is getting out and getting out together. And I think sometimes that's what we need to do. We got old things in our lives, old past habits, old past relationships that we somehow are still keeping alive. And it looks like we got it just as an escape route, just as like a lifeboat. And just in case this thing don't work out, I got this thing happening over here. Man, we need to come in here and say, you know what? I don't have a divided heart. Lord, I got you, got me, everything that we have, we're in this thing together. Lord, I'm burning all the old stuff that I used to know. Man, and I'm going fully after you. Guys, we don't need to have divided hearts. We need to be fully connected to what God is doing. And I challenge you, man, if you know somebody who's out there, who you see, man, they're hanging out on the fringe, man. They, they, dude, I, I can see it. Now that you've said it, I identify it. I, I know exactly. I I can see it. Man, you begin to pray for him. If you find yourself out on the fringe, man, did you come back and you say, God, look, man, I'm, I'm coming after this thing. Man, I don't want to be like that Eutychus guy. Man, I don't want to be like as Peter's saying that, that all of a sudden the enemy's rolling around because I promise you this, he's looking to get after you. He wants you and he's not satisfied until he has every bit of who you are. Guys, if you would stand across the sanctuary with me this morning. Hey everybody, wasn't that a great message? I know that as we speak, your life is being changed by the word of the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. Take some time to think about it, consider it, pray and ask the Lord how you can apply it to your life today and this week. 
and maybe there's something that he's asking you to change or do differently in your life. So let's not let this be something that we just watch and then walk away like nothing happened. We're so grateful to be able to hear the word of the Lord. You weren't here in person today, but you're here with us online and that matters. And if you made a decision for Christ today, we want to know. We want to know how to come alongside you and how to support you and how we can best pray for you. So please, if you did make that decision for Christ today, text the word DECIDED to 469-606-2684. We can't wait to see you back next week, same time, same place. Share these posts with your friends. Share it on your social media. Blast it out there. Don't be greedy and keep it to yourself. We love you and we'll see you soon. God bless.